The parish this week is Pinchas, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look, uh, also uh, this uh, shir is sponsored by friends of David Wicks, Zichronol Levracha, and his memory. Li'ilui Nishmat David ben Mordechai Shmuel, Zichro Eben. Zichro Eben. So if you look at page three of the pages you have before, we'll do these, these things backwards. You know that at the beginning of the parashat, Pinchas describes a very tense time in uh, the history of the Jewish people. Uh, it would seem that Bilam had actually been very successful, maybe not in cursing B'nai Israel, but in figuring out a way to destroy the fabric of the nation. And he sent in uh, a women, you know, women prostitutes who would attract the men. And they also had a apparently an idolatrous uh, position that they were able to uh, that they were able to give out so uh, this created a, a great problem Pinchas was the one who was involved in damage control you know he killed the people who seemed to be uh, representative of this terrible tragic affair and then a lot of people were killed and 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 uh, as people die. The next story in the parasha, and we've talked about this in the past, is the last, um, is the last uh, source. It was after the Magefa. Uh, you see, Magefa is a, some kind of pestilence, uh, a plague. Vayom HaShem El Moshe Ve'lelazar Ben Aaron HaKohen Le'mor God spoke to the leadership, Moshe, Elazar. Count the people. Pick up each head. Count them by head. Means all those who are appropriate, of the appropriate age, to go to war, to be part of the, of the army. Now we all know that uh, we've spoken in the past about the fact that this is the second time in the book of Bamidbar that Moshe Rabbeinu is counting the people. Right? He counted the people in the parasha of Bamidbar and then continued, finished up in Naso, the first two parashiyot. Now he counts them again. Now you could say that the counting was technical. After all, there was this plague and a lot of people died. And it was important to know, for some reason, to know how many people there were. But we'll see that it's not so, it's not so obvious. He, they, they were already in Arvot Moab. Arvot Moab is on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Are, in other words, they were positioned ready to go into Eretz Israel, So that the end of the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, the end of the story of Yitziat is taking place now. It starts in the parasha of Pinchas. The next parashiot in the book of Bamidbar kind of summarize the, uh, what happened to Bnei Yisrael <coughs> in the desert. The Jordan River, sort of where the Yericho is, right? We, we all know where that is. If you look at a map of Israel, you look at the Jordan River, the, the, the city of Yericho, 
They were on the other side, the other side of the Jordan River. So they're, they're about to go into Eretz Yisrael, wherever they were for the last 38 years. They were wandering around, what, not wandering really, because God was leading them from place to place. But now they are ready, poised and ready to go. Again, the emphasis on the counting of everybody who is older than 20 years, 20 years of age. Okay, Rashi. It's just like a shepherd and foxes, wolves, go into his, uh, his flock. Uh, so Rashi, Rashi takes the low road. He says, well, of course, you know, you always want to know how much you have. You always want to know how many jewels you have, how much money you have. So if there's some kind of uh, upheaval in your, in your world, and now you have less money, or you have less jewel, fewer jewels, so you just count them again. You count them again. So here Rashi emphasizes the pragmatic aspect of the counting. Before we had more, now we have less. Let's find out exactly how many, how many we have. Of course, that doesn't answer the question of why God wants to know. I mean, you would think, or one might think, that, that God would know. I mean, it's not such a, such a big issue, so you have to say, no, I mean, God is teaching us how we should be. That when you lose things of importance, you should, like, try to figure out what's with them. I mean, that's what Rashi says. The Rashi says, gives another reason for the counting. And he says, She had Mitzrayim, so Rashi says something, something else. Rashi says, when, <coughs> when uh, Moshe Rabbeinu received the leadership, or received B'nai Yisrael, he, they were counted. And now that he's about to die, now that Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die, it's reasonable that they should count them again and pass on pass it on to the next, to the next leader. Okay. Oh, 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 okay. You see it says those extra words, the house of their fathers. They connect to the tribe of the father. I mean, I don't know exactly what this has to do with what's going on. I mean, you count them, you count them. I mean, how many are there? And what's the difference in the Beit Avotam or the Beit Imam, whether it's, uh, whether it's the father's family or the mother's family? I mean, you want to know how many they are, so you have to count them in any event. So this seems to be, this comment of Rashi seems to be counterindicated. Like, what's it got to do with father or mother or family? Well, it has nothing to do with that. Then in Pasuk Gimel, uh, by the Moshe, uh, uh, again, by the Be'er Moshe, Rashi, Imam It doesn't say in the Pasuk, it says they spoke to them, but it doesn't say what they spoke to them about. So Rashi says, Rashi says, 
דיבורים על זאת שציווה המקום למנותם. This is what they spoke about. They, they went to the people and they said, listen, God told us to count, so we're going to count. I mean, don't think we're doing it on our, our own, but this is something that uh, God wants us to do. That's the last, the last pasuk. So Rashi says, So again, you could make an eight out of this. He said, why? Why were they counted? Why were they counted? So Rashi has different, different positions. One position is they wanted to know how many were left. Another position they wanted to know how many went into the army. Another one, I mean, Rashi says elsewhere that God, in the beginning of Bamidbar, God counted them as an act of chiba. Chiba is, uh, uh, is unnecessary love. Like you just do it because you, you like them. And that's what, that's what the, the Psukim say. So again, Pinchas, then there's a Magifah, that Pinchas is like the great tragedy. Somehow he saves the people. Then there is the Magifah. And after the Magifah, they receive instruction, Moshe and Al-Azhar receive instruction to count the people. Okay? What follows that? Then they count them. And in the parasha, you have this kind of boring section, right? So-and-so had these children, and the children had the more children, so, you know, that's where the names, our names come from. If you have to give a name to a child, you look in the parish of Pinchas. <coughs> now, after that, after what we've just been talking about, and what we've just been talking about, we go to the, to the previous source on page three. The source of, well, that, this is the next part of the parish. So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go up on Har Avarim. And of course this becomes a problem, this name, Har Avarim, which means in Hebrew probably something to do with La'avar or Ma'avar, right? All of those possible words, a way to go through from one place to another. That's Har Avarim. But the real problem the real problem, of course, is that the name of the mountain on which Moshe Rabbeinu died was Nevo, Har Nevo. Why is it that God says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, Aleil Har Ha'avarim Hazeh, that's the second part, and you'll see the land. Now why in heaven's name, I take that back, why? <laughs> Why would Moshe Rabbeinu be interested in seeing the land? I mean, here we are. We're in the land. We're in the land. Now, it's not so easy to make a case or argue the case that there's a lot to see here. Even in our expanded version these days of Eretz Yisrael. I mean, we have a lot of rocks. A lot of rocks in Israel. And not that much lush growth. And not that much water when we want it. And what is it exactly that Moshe Rabbeinu is supposed to be looking at? Do you think that the view of Eretz Yisrael from Har Avarim is different than the view on the eastern side of the Jordan, right near the Jordan, that there's the eastern and the western side? I don't know. So let's look at Rashi. Rashi says, Aleil Avarim. Ma? Lama nisbechalakan. That's a Rashi question, right? Why does this? come here in the Torah, in the order of things. 
First we had count B'nai Yisrael, then the counting of B'nai Yisrael, right, all the families. And now God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go up on Har HaAvarim HaZeh. Lava nisvecha lekan, kevan shamar kodesh bochu, baton titein lahem, right? Baton, since God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, shamar kodesh bochu, you give it to them. Amar otitzi vahamakom lahanchil. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I guess it's my job to give out the land. If <coughs> and this is a whole other theory, a different theory about why B'nai Yisrael were counted. Because, and why the Beit Av was so important, because the land in Israel, in, in other words, there were two divisions. There was going to be a division by tribe and a division by family. So every tribe got a section, and within that section, every family got a section. Every family got a section. Now, how that worked exactly is also a, a, a problem that the Rishonim <coughs> deal with. But here, we say, what Moshe Rabbeinu said, Amar Oti Tziva Makom Lanchil, the third line in Rashi, Shema Hutra Hagizera Vechanes Laaretz. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's like with the sun, right? He said, if God wants me to give out the land of Israel to the families, well, I guess I have to be there. You wouldn't do that by remote control. You'd, you'd have to be there. So maybe when God said to me, when God said to me, count up the people, divide up the land, he meant that I would go into Eretz Israel and that the original Gezerah mm -hmm. had been rescinded. That the Gezerah had been rescinded. Shema Hutra Gezerah Ve'ekanes La'aretz. This is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu understood the Torah better than anybody else who was more well versed in, so to speak, in the mind of God. It sounds like a paperback Jewish novel. But he was the person who knew it better than anybody else. He's making a tragic error. He's not even close. He says, uh, uh, I'm sorry, No change, Moshe. The original, the original decision remains in place. Uh, so, so therefore, that answers the question of Laman Nisbechalakan. Why is it that in the order of things, first there is, the Torah tells us the names of the families that make up the 12 tribes of Israel, and then God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go up on the mountain and you'll see Eretz Yisrael from here. And the answer to the question is, because Moshe Rabbeinu made a mistake. He misread what was going on. And he thought that if God, <coughs> he thought that if God was going to make him the kind of the, the intermediary to give out portions of Eretz Yisrael to the various families, so he probably would have to be there. And maybe that meant that he was no longer, he was no longer going to be punished in the way that God said. Rashi says, continues, he says, no change. And that's what these sukim are. You'll see this land 
you'll die just like Aaron, your brother. Aaron, your brother, died. Pasuk Yudalet, the last of the three Pasukim. Kashem Meritim Piba Midbar Tzin Bin Rivat Haidah Lechitisheni B'mayim Leinihem Heimei Merivat Kadesh Midbar Tzin So there we have this Pasuk that no one can understand. There's a gripe against Moshe Rabbeinu, just like Aaron. So you, Moshe Rabbeinu, you did this terrible thing. Heimei <coughs> Merivat, with the waters of contention which, you know, referring to the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. We all know that this is uh, not an easy point to kind of comprehend, as, as the Barbanel asks at great length. I mean, why is it less impressive to get water out of a rock by hitting it than by speaking to it? Most people realize that in neither case would water ordinarily come out of the rock. So we have that problem, and yet the pasuk is very the pasukim are very clear. The pasukim are very clear. The pasukim chukat. The pasuk here that the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu is not allowed to go to Eretz Yisrael is because of what he did, and the only thing we see that he did was that he. <coughs> the only thing we see that uh, uh, that he did was that he did not uh, uh, speak to the rock. He hit the rock. We don't know about anything else. I, I've told you several times that there's an interesting comment by Rabbi Yosef Albo in the Sefer Karim about that question. And the Sefer Karim he said that uh, he points to the fact that Yoshua bin Nun, when they were fighting, had the battle against the Ai, right? The city after Yericho, they went to the Ai and had the battle at the Ai, and, and Yoshua realized that they were going to lose unless he could keep the daylight, lest there would be daylight for a longer period of time, so they could continue battling against the army of Ai, and then they would, they, they might win. So, Yoshua bin Nun said, Shemesh begivon dom, biareach, beemek ayalom. The sun, Shemesh begivon, the sun in Givon, should stop, stop moving from one place to another. So the Sefei Karim says that that was the test of Yoshua's leadership. And what he did not do was go back to God and cry that the whole thing is lost. But somehow Yoshua felt that if he makes the demand on heaven in, in a way that would save the Jewish people, he would be responded to. And that that response, uh, that that response would would be uh, what he was waiting for. So he didn't ask God what he should do. But if you look back at the parasha about the water of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, when the Jews, when the people came to complain that they didn't have any water, right? You know, Miriam died, and the well that Miriam was responsible for disappeared. They all came and they complained to Moshe Rabbeinu about water. And we've talked about that. I don't think it meant that they didn't have any water, but they didn't have the well. They didn't have the magical well of Miriam, which sort of meant that uh, they were dependent on real, on whatever water there would be in the desert. <coughs> so Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron ran away. They ran away from the argument into the Ohel Moed, into the 
the tent where Moshe Rabbeinu would meet up with God and they said, what should we do? And God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take your staff and go to the stone and hit the stone or speak to the stone and water will come out, right? So the Sefi Karim says, you see the difference between the Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu, and the Talmud, Yoshua bin Nun. And that they, what the Moshe Rabbeinu caused was called, we call it a Chilul Hashem. He desecrated the name of God because he did not think that if he would just walk up to a rock and talk to it without speaking to God, that God would not support him in this, in this matter. But he, he impressed the people with his own doubt. Right? And that was the Chilul Hashem, that he wasn't sure if God would be willing to help him. So this pasuk, this pasuk, uh, pasuk Yudalit, Kashem Ritem Pi B'midbar Tzin B'midbar Tzidah Lek Dijeni B'mayim Leineem Hey Meng Rivakadesh Midbar Tzin Okay Okay So Pasuk in Pasuk Yud Gimel Rashi says Kashem Nesaf Aron Achicha Mikan Shenitave Moshe Lemitato Shel Aharon Well here you see that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted very much to die in the way that Aaron died. Aaron died with a divine kiss. He just was sleeping and, and God took him away. And he wanted to die that, that way as well. You're not better than he is. Because both of you are guilty of the fact that you did not sanctify God's name at that moment, at the moment when you, when you should have. But if you would have, again, we don't know exactly what the reference is, but if you would have sanctified God's name, you would still be alive. Both of you would be able to live. Wherever in the psukim, in these psukim, wherever the Torah mentions the death of Moshe and Aaron, and or Aaron, it also mentions what caused them to die. Lefisha nixera gizera aldoa midbar lamut ba midbar bavon shelohe eminu lachem bikesh Moshe shiikatev sirchono. Again, since Bnei Yisrael, they all died in the desert, right? They after the Cheta Egel, after the I'm sorry, after the Cheta of the Miraglim. The punishment was that they would all die in the desert and it would take 38 years until everybody above a certain age would die. So that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to make sure that the people understood, the people who were learning Torah, would understand that he was not included in that. His problem was not that he denied the importance of Eretz Yisrael, which is what the people, all the other people who died, did. They all denied, they said, we don't have to go to Eretz Yisrael. I mean, we're better off going somewhere else. We're better off going somewhere else. That's what, <coughs> that's what the people said. So that's why the Torah, sort of in respect of Moshe Rabbeinu's interest, every time they mention, the Torah mentions the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die, the Torah also adds on a passage that says why he's going to die. 
but he's going to die because of what happened with the, with the stone and the rock and the talking and all of that because we want, with the Torah want to make sure that we would not misunderstand and think that Moshe and Aaron are equal to or in the same kind of boat as all the other Jews who died, who died in the desert. Uh, and he adds this from the Medrash even if you if a person is guilty of a transgression and is going to be punished severely it's important that you should know why they're being punished that you shouldn't think that he falls into some general category and is like everybody else but you know it could be that he's that he's special why was Miriam killed? Uh, what? Why was Miriam? Why did she die? Yeah. I guess she thought Lush and her. She had her onus. Yeah. Good, I mean, I mean, I know it's there in my head someplace. And <laughs> I hope it'll shake out. <laughs> but it's a correct question. Hey, Mamri Vat Kadesh, Hey, Mdavadam. Abraham Avon Acher. You know, this is the only transgression that Moshe Rabbeinu did. Okay, the thing that I would like to, but the thing that I would like to focus on, you know, in spite of, uh, in spite of the fact that this, uh, these psukim are very interesting, is the fact that it says, in the Pasuk Yud Bet, And as I said before, I don't understand why it is so important that Moshe Rabbeinu should see the land of Israel before he died. Usually we see it as a kind of a, okay, you're not going to go into Eretz Israel, but take a look. You know, as though it's some kind of a, uh, well, not a prize exactly, but uh, some kind of a palliative. Not as bad as it might be, but I don't really, I don't really understand that. So now let's look at a few more psukim. If you look at page, you look at page, uh, at page two, page two. And we, this is the the last the chumashid varim periklamidalit is the the parasha of the actual death of Moshe Rabbeinu, like it's a safer way. It's a very short period of time chronologically, because in Bamidbar, the Jews are already in Arvot Moab, ready to go into Eretz Yisrael. So that the whole book of Tvarim, the whole book of Tvarim is like the final speeches of Moshe Rabbeinu, which might have taken place all on the same day. The whole book of Tvarim. So here, at the end of the Sefer of Tvarim, Perik Lamedalit, it says, Vayal Moshe Mi'avot Moab. We asked about Har Avarim, right? So the Mephoshim talk about Har Avarim. If, you if you're interested, you could look in the Ramban. The Ramban tries to explain why the name is changed. Now here in Perik Lamedalit, Pasuk Aleph, Vayal Moshe Mi'avot Moab Har Nebo, Okay, 
כל הארץ. משה רבינו סוער, אני חושב ‫אבל... In the north, on the north, you see, it says the Golan, Gilad, Adan, Naftali, Ephraim, right? Ephraim is a big, is a big piece of land that comes out of Yerushalayim, it goes north. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu has actually shown the whole thing. And then Pasuk Gimel says, But that Negev, everything. He saw the, the Negev, and he saw Yericho, and he saw Irat Marim. Irat Marim is the, the place around Yericho which grows, right? You know, it's like, a, like green, you know, like they're very clever. They built cities where there was water. Pretty clever, right? So, so it was, it's green around Yericho. You go to Yericho, you see, you see trees. So here's Moshe HaKadosh Baruch Hu is like the Mora Derech, right, the tour guide. He says, oh, you've never been here before. Let me help you out here. This started from the north until the south. This is all the land that I promised the Avot Avram Yitzhak V'Yakov. This is our Oet Nena. I'm showing it to you in your eyes but you're not going to go there you're not going to go there that's what God says to Moshe Rabbeinu you can see it but you can't go there and Moshe Rabbeinu stands there and says what good is that to me what does you know the Medrash says <coughs> the Medrash says the Sifri right Hanan the Sifri says why did Moshe Rabbeinu want to go to Eretz Yisrael This is a good question. I mean, in other words, Moshe Rabbeinu was an old man. Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to be able to live very long in Eretz Yisrael, actually. Why was he so interested to go to Eretz Yisrael? So the Medrash says, Ma? Very good. That's what the Medrash says. The Medrash says the Sifri. But there's a trick here. You know, there are, certain, there are a lot of mitzvot that are connected to Eretz Yisrael that you can't do anyplace else. So Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to do those mitzvot. He wanted to keep Shemitah, and he wanted to keep Yovel, and he wanted to trumot and Masrot. That's what the Medrash says. So I always I said, you know, it's not, it, it, it's unreasonable because it took them 21 years until they conquered the land and divided it up and planted whatever had to be planted and then they did the mitzvot so really if you give that terutz that's in the medrash in the medrash so it turns out that Moshe Rabbeinu said no I don't want to die now I want to live at least another 21 years which seems to me to be a little unreasonable so if Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to be able to do the mitzvot of God Baruch because you can't do them you can't do them for 21 years, and what was Moshe Rabbeinu so anxious about going to Eretz Yisrael, and why was God, why was God so interested in showing him the land? 
showing you that I saw there's something to see. I mean, what's there to see in this in this land <coughs> that he showed it? Pasuk Dalit. Yom Hashem Yilam Sota Aretz Hashem Shpata Avodim Zerni Yakol Neimor Zachat Nena. Pasuk Hei Vayamot Sham Moshe Eved Hashem Be'eretz Mo'av Al Pi Hashem. Vayamot Sham. Okay. So let's look at a little bit of the Rashi. Rashi says, Kama Ma'alot Hayu. Ma'arot Po'avel Har Nevo. Kama Ma'alot Hayu. Upesan Moshe Be'psiya Achat. Ooh. It was far, but he did it in one jump. At Kol Haaretz, Herau Kol Eretz Yisrael, all of the the land, Bishalvata, Vahamitzikim Hat, he did Lichyot Mitzikim Lad, all of the the enemies that would come upon it. So this is what this is what. Uh, so Rashi, uh, just one second. Zarachat Nena, you see Pasuk Dalit Zarachat Nena. No? In Rashi. At the Aretz HaShibad Lavram Mezal Yaakov, is Arachat Nena. I will give it to your issue, to your children and grandchildren. I saw it in your, I, I let you see it with your eyes, but there you're not going to go. What is this kind of uh, God chastising Moshe Rabbeinu, making me feel worse? Making feel worse. Not only. Not only aren't you going to go, but I let you look at it a little bit so you'll really feel badly. Rashi says, That Moshe Rabbeinu can now go to Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov and say, I, I fulfilled the promise. What do you mean you fulfilled the promise? All the Jewish people are on the eastern side of the Jordan. Moshe Rabbeinu is on Har Nebo. He sees the land of Israel. So that's called fulfilling the promise. There's not going to be fulfilling the promise for a long time. The promise is not going to be fulfilled. He says, I'm going to do it. God says to Moshe, I'm going to give them the land, but you're not going to go there. Because if not for the fact that you have to be punished, I would let you live until you saw them planted and permanent in that place. And he went and he saw them. So, so... In this whole story, I mean, it, it appears again, it appears again if you look at uh, page one, we're going backwards here. If you look at page one, Periklamit uh, Bet, what's at the bottom of the page, right? Periklamit Bet, Hashem and Moshe, Betzim Ayom Azelom Lemor, Aleil Har Abarim Hazeh, Har Nevo, Hashem Eretz Moab, Hashem Pnei Yerechor, Eretz Eretz Kenan, Hashem Eretz Pnei Yisrael Akuzah. Again, the third time, you'll see Eretz Yisrael. And if you look at the first source on this page, Bet Kenan El Hashem, you remember, this is the very famous, the famous uh, position of Moshe Rabbeinu, Bet Kenan, you think that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't understand that when God says something, that's final. I mean, what is Bet Kenan? What is God? So when it come, came to Bnei Yisrael, I've, I've, I've mentioned this often, when it came to Bnei Yisrael, 
Moshe Rabbeinu was the appointed defense attorney. Right? And since Moshe Rabbeinu was the appointed defense attorney, Moshe Rabbeinu understood that he could never lose defending B'nai Yisrael. It doesn't mean he would get what he wanted, but he was not going to lose. So when God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, let's get rid of them, B'nai Yisrael, after the Chaita Egel, and I'll make you the head of a nation. So Moshe Rabbeinu knew that that he had to continue to defend B'nai so that was his job and that was the job that was given to him by by God he wasn't accidentally appointed the lawyer for the defense he was the defender of B'nai Yisrael and therefore his efforts would have to be would have to be successful his efforts would, so so when he comes to it it's a mystery Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he couldn't defend himself that wasn't his, he's appointed. He wasn't appointed to defend himself. So if God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you've had it, so you had it. What is that? Hanan el Hashem ve'eta ilemor? Hashem elokim et hachilot erot ad abdecha et gadlecha ve'et yadcha chazaka. Etcha chazaka shomeyel v'ashamayim v'arza sheyasekim asekim v'osekim. Ebra naver eh. Let me just see. Et ha'aretz ha'tova shem eva yardeim. This time, Moshe Rabbeinu begs to be allowed to see the land of Israel. And the other source in Dvarim, right, Moshe Rabbeinu, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm gonna, I want to show you the land. Well, that's okay, we could put it together. First, Moshe Rabbeinu requested it, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu acceded to the request for some reason, for some reason. Okay? So that's in the psukim. You look at the psukim in there. So look at the this problem. I'm going to tell you what it says in the Gemara in the beginning of Bab Metziah. But don't get nervous. It'll be all right. The Mishnah at the beginning of Bab Metziah says, This is the first Mishnah that little children learn. The Mishnah duplicates itself. Mishnah says, That means two people come into best and each one is holding on to a talus. And each one says, It's mine. I found it. And let's say they tell you the truth. Because it is possible that you could make a mistake about a thing like that. Two people could pick it up at the same time. And each of them would think that, that they had some kind of exclusivity. Right, Each one says, it belongs to me. Each one says, I found it, I found it. Right? So the Gemara asks the obvious question. Why does the Mishnah say, Why do you need both of these statements? That's enough. That's also enough. Are you still with me? So the Gemara comes up with the following, what they call, we call a habamina, like a, an assumption about, about the Mishnah. That the Mishnah didn't want us to think, this is what the Gemara said, the Mishnah didn't want us to think that you could buy uh, something just by looking at it. And therefore, 
the Mishnah says, Zavakula Shali, Zavakula Shali, and each one of them says, Animitzatiya. Now, I found it first because they don't want you to think. <coughs> the guy says, I saw it first. That, that means something. It doesn't mean anything. I saw it first, no, it's no good. Okay, that's the end of the Gemara. I mean, for us today. So all of them, we shown him, all we shown him say, what's going on? Why does the Gemara have to reject a Habamina that no one ever heard of? What's the Habamina? What we say the Habamina was? That they could go and say, I saw it first. <coughs> I saw it first, David belongs to me. Whoever heard of such thing, you can't buy you can't buy it if you by looking at it. Even today, everybody understands. If you want to buy something in a store, you have to pick it up. Right? You have to pay for it. You don't buy it by looking at it. That would be the end of business. Right? Everything would be would be everybody would be out of business. There's no such thing in Torah law called Kenyan Re'iyah. So since there's no such thing, why does the Gemara have to reject it? Why does the Gemara have to reject it? <coughs> so there's an opinion that says, the opinion that says, it's true, you can't make a Kenyan with Re'iyah. But if you make a regular Kenyan and you want to make an argument and say, when did my Kenyan start? When did it begin that, I, that it belonged to me? from the time I saw it. If I just look at it and I don't pick it up, so it's not mine. It's not mine. I mean, everybody agrees it's not mine. But if I see it and then I pick it up and I buy it, and then you say to me, when did this purchase take place? There's a legitimate reason to think that it took place when you saw it. Right? That's what, that's what those, those we showed him, that's what the, those we showed him have to say. <coughs> So, is Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is God's agent to divide up the land of Israel. And how does he do it? How does he begin this process? By counting all the families. By counting all the families in Israel, how many people there were in each family. And that's how the land is going to be divided up. But Moshe Rabbeinu can't really start the process on his own just by counting the people. He's got to be in a position where he can give them something, where he can produce a division of some sort. And certainly that was true for Ruven God and Chatzi Shevet Menashe. You remember? They elected to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan on the east side of Jordan to have their nachalah, their inheritance, come from the land of Og and Sichon and Og. That's where they were going to live permanently. So Moshe Rabbeinu was going to <coughs> divide up that land. So it means that Moshe Rabbeinu was in some way God's agent for passing the land of Israel on to the families of the Jewish people. And in order to do that, in order to do that, when they came to the land of Sichon and Og, Moshe Rabbeinu was involved in conquest. They actually conquered that land. So certainly it belonged to Moshe Rabbeinu. It belonged to Moshe Rabbeinu. He could give it out as God's agent for dividing up the land of Israel. 
Everybody was the land of Israel. But when he came to Eretz Israel, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have any special, didn't have any any special connection to the land of Israel, which would enable him to divide up the land while the, before even before B'nai Israel went into Eretz Israel. And so Hakadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu in our parsha, the parsha of Pinchas, in the parsha because I want you to go up and take a look at Eretz Israel. And that look will be sufficient to connect you to the land that I promised Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov. And that promise will be fulfilled by you. You, Moshe Rabbeinu, are going to give the land out to the, to the families that you just, that you just counted. <coughs> so that in some way, even though Moshe Rabbeinu himself did not go to Eretz Yisrael, he did not enter the land, but he possessed the land. So, and that's what, that's what the Pesach means. Says, I want you to look at the whole thing. I mean, you can't. You can't look at the whole thing. The Negev, to, to, by you just standing there on a mountaintop, you could see the Negev, and you could see the Galil, and you could see, you see the Gilad. I mean, not likely. But since it was a matter of a Kenyan, this is a matter of a Kenyan. It didn't matter if Moshe Rabbeinu actually saw all of these places. It was important to know that God included all of those places in his, the Kenyan of Eretz Yisrael, the temporary Kenyan of Eretz Yisrael, to Moshe Rabbeinu, who would be able to pass on the divided land to the families, who in turn would be able to, through war and through living in the Eretz Yisrael, assume real ownership Right, real ownership of the land that Hakadosh Baruch Hu promised Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and so whenever the death of Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned in these four places that we that we saw, whenever the death of Moshe Rabbeinu is mentioned, it's also accommodated by this idea Reita that you'll see the place, you'll be able to function as Moshe Rabbeinu. It was not just a whim that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go up and see the land, or that God wanted him to see the land, had nothing to do, had nothing to do as far as I can see with any of those ideas. But what it did have to do with the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's last act as the leader of the Jewish people was not to lead them into Eretz Israel physically, but to actually give them the land of Israel of Eretz Yisrael as the agent of God who promised this to Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And therefore, even though B'nai Yisrael were going into a land that would take them quite some time to conquer and to establish themselves in that land, nevertheless, they knew that it was a fulfillment of the promise because of what Moshe Rabbeinu, what Moshe Rabbeinu did before he died. Okay.